Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're joining us, hello, please like and subscribe. We are talking today about this absolutely fantastic and essential book uh, by Emma, who I'm very honoured to have here, What White People Can Do Next from Allyship to Coalition. Hey, you, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you, Owen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are where we are, aren't we? So, yeah. You're looking very, I don't know what the word is, you're looking very... Windswept? Do you look quite, I mean, I mean, I, I, mean, I look like I don't know what's happened to my head, but uh, windswept would be kind in my case. No, you, uh, you, you, we, you don't look too locked down out, if that's an expression, which I've never heard. But I've not heard it before, but I'm into it, actually. It's quite a good one. You should coin it. Yeah, um, it was coined here. <laughs> in this so, moment. this book, which we're going to talk about, uh, I mean, there's just so much in it, which is just incredible what i might start with is i suppose the concept of whiteness i mean as you write about in the book and i should say about this book by the way for people who this is their first time hearing about it this is it's a book which is it just it's 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 so accessible and yet so full of of scholarship it's 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 witty it's so insightful it's it's just a must-read book um and, and one of the things you write about, I mean, talking about whiteness, is this concept of, of, of white people has been in existence since 1661. The idea, as you write, that different features, hair textures or complexions have any intrinsic value of meaning and that they constitute racial difference didn't exist before then. And you go on to ask who were white people before they were white. So what do we mean by all of that? Let's, let's, let's start by that. What do you mean by, by all of that, which I've just thrown your own words at you? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, thank you for your very generous um, appraisal of my book. Deserved. Um, (laughs) um, So, whiteness, yes. We are speaking so much about race at the moment, as we should be. These conversations are long overdue. But I worry that the the way we frame the conversation in a lot of the current anti-racist moment movement even is to actually reinvest in the truth status of race we hear the mantra race is a social construct you know that that kind of idea from sociology i guess has kind of like trickled down and you hear people say race is a social construct but from the way people talk about race and and behave um it doesn't seem like there's a kind of internalized like understanding of that so i think it's really really crucial in our conversations about racism that we understand the constructed nature of racial categories the historical moment in which they were invented and the very real the, the specific purposes for which the idea of a white race specifically and a black race or a 
to use the word that was used at the time, a Negro race, quote unquote, was created. Um, and it's in it's in um, a fascinating moment in history that is so is so important. And it's the reason that there's a direct lineage from that moment in history to the protests of, of, of 2020 and the whole Black Lives Matter movement that came um, that, that, that kind of went global as a result of that. But the historical context is often missing. And it's in colonial Barbados in um, the 1660s, an English colony where English landowners and lawmakers and some Scottish as well um, come up with the concept of white people, codify it into law, and from there it spreads throughout the Caribbean what will become the United States of America and eventually the world. And it's invented initially, it's um, a reaction to an upper, to a number of uprisings that happened between indentured Irish servants, indentured Irish laborers, and enslaved Africans against their English landlords. And I take I, I make a point of saying indentured Irish and enslaved African rather than white indentured laborers and uh, black enslaved people because they're not white or black yet. That concept hasn't been invented. The reason that it's introduced is, there's, there's two reasons. The first is to justify the dehumanization of enslaved Africans um, that is generating, is starting to generate so much wealth for these landowners. And we'll go on to like, you know, transform the economies of the, of the West and kind of lay the foundations of, of modernity, basically. Um, so the first reason is to justify the dehumanization of the people that become black people. Blackness becomes associated with lots of negative characteristics. Whiteness is associated with superiority um, in that in, in from, from its earliest inception, but also to shut down those um, nascent and emerging solidarities that are forming between uh, indentured European indentured laborer and enslaved African against the elites who oppress them both with whiteness, with the with the imposition of whiteness and blackness, it shuts down those solidarities that are emerging that are so threatening to the to power to the to the to the power to the power structure. So I thought I'd throw that in because I know I know normally the cliched opening question is what made you write this book now? That's Thank you for not point. asking me that. <laughs> I know people are just, I just so I thought I'd find you can it ask way. me, but as long as it's not the first question. <laughs> exactly, that's what I thought. But I thought I'd say, I'd use that because I want I think that historical context is is just so important to understand and interrogate as you write in the book about whiteness. Um, so in terms of I mean bringing it today that point about whiteness, you you mentioned um, the, I shouldn't I mean it was. John Snow, the Channel 4 news presenter, when he was at a pro-Brexit rally and he said that he'd never seen so many white people in his life or something along those lines. Yeah. Anyone Sounds could... innocuous enough. Um, oh, yeah, you'd think innocuous. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, uh -uh. they went off. They went off. <laughs> yep, Twitter was... Um, what was that all about? And putting that in context, what, because what you saw there was visceral rage. It was... Fior these are the people who spend their lives going oh the left are snowflakes and easily offended and that's their that's their mantra that's what they do yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> you can't say anything anymore without causing offense that's what they do 
What made them? What was go- what? How would you understand that phenomenon? And what what does it tell us about whiteness? Because oh, wow, yeah, like I, I find it's it, such an such an interesting. Um, it, it was such an interesting response and and reaction. There were like so many complaints to Ofcom, you know, for say, for describing. Um, for, for, yeah, for, for kind of quite simply saying, I've never seen so many white people in one place or something to that effect. Um, oh, Jesus. <laughs> what, Emma, Emma, are we still alive? This is dramatic. Drama. I like this. Um, it kind of shakes things up a bit. Okay, so <laughs> my back. laptop is back. I'm back. <laughs> I was alarmed at the minute. I was like, what? Just, has an asteroid hit? I mean, but you're fine. You're fine. We're here. Absolutely grand. Um, my laptop is balanced in a very precarious um, way, so I just I just came a cropper there. Was I'm that a for the, maybe for the something to do with why I don't know. I was trying I'd to like to search in. for a deeper meaning. Thank you for throwing me that. For those who li- are listening to the podcast and can't see it, basically her laptop fell off a lap. It's not actually that exciting, but I just. Just so we're aware. Yeah, sorry, Emma. Carry on. Um, yeah, so um, the backlash, the reaction to that. Um, I think it's because, well, yeah, it's because um, even though whiteness is a white is a racial category, um, its power, part of its power, comes from its the normativeness of it it's still it's still to white people are imagined as unracialized people the default norm from which everyone else deviates so to actually name whiteness to racialize white people in the way that racial categories racialize everybody else is still taboo and for certain people not used to seeing themselves racialized in that way, seeing whiteness named in that way, there was that visceral reaction to it, you know? So it's, it's very, it's very revealing. I feel like I've lost you now. <laughs> can you hear me? So basically what happened I can there, hear you now. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not joking. Did you drop your laptop? You, whilst, it, no, worse. Whilst you were speaking, my cat, uh, dived at the camera and threw it on the floor. You're joking. <laughs> I'm not joking. But while I just put the camera back on, I'm going to throw you another question. I can hear everything you say. I just, I'm, I'm currently invisible to you. No, that's fine. There was just silence. And I was like, oh, have I rendered him speechless? No, I didn't I, know there was a cat attack. I muted myself because I didn't want the sound of me going, ah, and then fixing my camera. Uh, to ruin what you were saying. So whilst I just put the, I just need to turn the camera on. So it's, I've, I've put the camera back. Now I just need to turn it on. Whilst I do that though, what you talk about, you you, you talk about how anti-racist, you, you, you call them the kind of abolitionists of the 21st century, but, but that the commitment that they shouldn't be, dis, that they believe that black people shouldn't be discriminated against doesn't mean they don't think they're inferior because lots of abolitionists you know, we wouldn't look back and say they were actually anti-racists. So what do we mean by that? What, do you want to just unpick what you, what you mean by that as I turn my camera on? Yeah, sure. Take your time. Um, you know, as a historian, I'm fascinated in by the, the parallels 
continuities and discontinuities um, between now and 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 and, and previous um, previous times. Um, I think there can be the reason that I was keen to um, kind of root this in a in a trajectory of um, protesting against um, racism was because I think a lot of the fear, not even theory, I think a lot of the framework of the current anti-racist uh, moment slash movement can be quite ahistorical and lacking in um, context to an extent. I think there can also be a tendency to believe that we haven't really been here or anywhere com comparable before. Um, and an idea that um, white allies, quote unquote, mm -hmm. because I, I take, um, well, I, I, I deconstruct the, the concept of allyship, I, I, is, which is something that I do in the book. But let me just say for this, oh, there's um, suddenly about 20 children outside the room that I'm in, so I, I don't know if you I can love hear. How many, I, love how, I love how, I love the way, I mean, look at it, you can see my camera's currently slanted. I love the obstacles being thrown at us, but we are getting through this. That's the point, we're persevering. We, we're bossing it, given Absolutely the, uh, the challenges that are being thrown at us. I'm not joking, this will make people probably more likely to to watch and keep, I mean, this is, this is you know, it's, it's an interview against the odds. <laughs> So carry on. We're going to beat the odds, Emma. We will, you perse and me. We will persevere. Um, but I was just explaining why you could perhaps you could suddenly hear uh, nursery rhymes being sung. Um, so yes, this is this isn't the first time that there has been you know kind of a groundswell of support for like an anti-racist movement, and there have been lots of concerned and invested white people um involved in um in, in 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 this kind of work and i saw um i thought it was interesting that um when you i think there are there are compare there there are parallels between um some of the white abolitionists and some um white anti-racists at the moment what i found interesting about abolitionists when i first discovered it um a few years ago now was that some of the abolitionists themselves were also um racist in that they had internalized all of the narratives about black inferiority which were so potent at the time mm -hmm. and white superiority it wasn't that they didn't believe that white that, that black people were inferior it was just that they felt they shouldn't be held in bondage because mm -hmm. of that they felt that they should be they they should be helped, you mm. know. They should be um, they, they they should be they should be freed. But that belief in the fact that they should have their freedom, um, their legal freedom, didn't necessarily translate into a belief in um, there being an equality between between black and white people. And I find, as I talk about in the book, I find a lot of the. Um, the power dynamics that are enshrined in particularly the in, within allyship you know quite um unsettling and with um 
his, his historic resonances to uh, to 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 unequal unequal power dynamics. Um, I've looked. I've, I've seen too many references to the ally and the victim. You mm. know. And that immediately triggers alarm bells in me. Like I grew up, well, I'm Irish and um, growing up in Ireland in the 1980s, um, most of the imagery that one had about, about Africa was through, um, through the Catholic, through the Catholic church and um, missions and trocara boxes and collecting a penny for the black baby, which was like a thing that we did, you know, in school. Um, and very much this kind of like white savior, black victim type of dynamic. In some of the framing of allyship, I see, I, I see that power dynamic, you know, kind of playing out and it makes me feel uncomfortable and, yeah. and a bit icky. And I think there are, um, I think there are ways of reframing the, uh, the power dynamic, you know? So on that, I mean, you, you, you write about while white saviors might think they are being good people, black people do not need charity, benevolence, or indeed guilt. It's unhelpful and patronizing. And the other thing you talk about allyships and coalitions, and you referred to the work of Fred Motin and Barbara Fields about mm -hmm. how today's allyships fail to build coalitions identified. So I was just wondering those two things. Firstly, a lot of people won't know who I'm talking about. So just explain who they are and what they meant, if that's okay, and how today's allyships are failing to build that. And just talk a bit at that point about, as you were saying there, and I'm just quoting your words at you. I hey, I know it's not fun having, but they're beautiful words, so it doesn't matter. Thank um, you. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that that point I think was such. I I, I underlined it heavily. So I'd, I'd love, <laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts on on your own work. <laughs> Sorry, I'm distracted by when I dropped my laptop, it like it, it mashed up my my frame. So I'm just like, oh, is it just half of my face? No, so you're not nice. great. I mean, we both got Rickman is now sitting over there looking very smug with himself. The camera's very <laughs> precariously perched. Um after anyway, but we got through this. Sorry, go, go for it. <laughs> yeah, so I think um a more um powerful way of kind of um reframing what so i feel like we are we are we are there's a great thirst for change you mm. know um we've seen that evident um not only through the black lives matter protests of um of the last year but also a thirst for change you know in terms of like environmental justice like all of the huge protests that were happening with um Extinction Rebellion, um, that we're in like late stage capitalism. There's like a resistance to to that. Lo lots of people want change. Okay, there are lots of different issues at play, and there are lots of different parties who want change um, according to kind of diff different areas of justice. What I find like really inspiring is the fact that so. Even though the the cause or the form of oppression, you know, shows up in a different way and is often seen as being quite separate, in fact, the the origin of those different oppressions usually has the same has the same source. Mm -hmm. So, for me, coalition building is about seeing um, 
is, is about identifying the source of, of our various different but connected oppressions, identifying them coming from the same source. And through that, cultivating coalitions and building the type of mass movements that could really bring about seismic change. Because most people are disadvantaged by the systems that we live under. It's only a small elite group of people who really benefit from, mm. from the way things are. And across lots of different lots of, across lots of different dividing lines, there are people still being disadvantaged by the system. So I really think it's it's key to identify the um the, the shared origin. I, I say like the same forces that have a disregard for black lives are the same forces that have a disregard for women, that have a disregard for the indigenous, that have a disregard for the poor, that have a disregard for the earth. You know it's the same it's the same forces. So rather than seeing our while recognizing difference, rather than this framing of allyship as, you know, I'm all right, but through, or I'm advantaged by the system, but through an act of, you know, charity or bene benevolence, like I will help you with your problem. I think what would be far more powerful would be identifying the different ways we should all be invested in making change for ourselves, because we all, serve to benefit from it. I think that would also bring more people on board. I mean, what I love about, well, many things I love about the book is what it tries to do is take discussions beyond basically the bad faith trolling attacks on, on certain arguments. So for example, the intersectionality, which is probably the recipient of more bad faith trolling in modern political discourse than most. You talk about how we need an intersectionality, not of identities, but of issues. I'd love for you to talk about that. And the other point you make about in the set in the chapter Stop the Denial, where the challenge you put is what makes you immune to centuries of socialization? It's a system we've been born into. Over that, you have no control. What you do have control over is what you do next. I really like that because whenever you know, you often get on Good Morning Britain, brilliant black scholars will go on television and get yelled at. But, and then people will go, oh, why should I be blamed for what my answer, you know, as though that was ever even argued. But just talk about those, <laughs> just talk about what, those two aspects, intersectionality and that, that point there about, you know, social life, given the centuries which you talk about in, mm -hmm. in the book. Um, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, um, for that. So, yeah, I think... Um, as you have rightly identified, um, sometimes we don't get past like kind of like a rudimentary point, whereas where people are like, I'm not going to be held responsible for something that happened centuries ago. It's not like you can't blame me for what my ancestors is. I'm like, OK, fine. So let's let, 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 let's go with that. <laughs> OK, um, but what we have to what we have to recognize is these systems were put in place generations before we were born, centuries before we were born. Um, so people have been conditioned for yeah like since the 1600s to see the world through the prism and the lens of race um fundamental to seeing the world through that lens is fundamental to the 
racial taxonomy and the hierarchy of race is a uh, is um like a, a cornerstone of whiteness is an idea of superiority you know um so we have inherited that um it, it's not we have inherited it right so how could how could we not be influenced by something that we have that, that that has been in operation you know for for so long at this stage so you can't really um I, so i don't think anyone needs to feel guilt about inheriting that system um but what i say is you need to take responsibility for um an awareness of that inheritance and how we move forward with it rather than just getting caught up in a debate you know about blame and guilt because these things these things happened far before before any of us were born we absolutely can't ignore that history i think that history has to be mainstreamed and just widely known mm -hmm. but at the same time it's not about feeling feeling guilt guilt and anger obstruct coalition building mm -hmm. um so yeah, the as Audrey Lord says, that they are they are incomplete. Can I remember what I quote her saying? They are in that 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 guilt is an incomplete emotion or something like that. It can be mm -hmm. the beginning of something else. It can be the beginning of knowledge, but if it doesn't move on into into knowledge, which it often doesn't, we often kind of get get we stop at the guilt level at the guilt stage then it just it, it prevents it immobilizes people it paralyzes people things just kind of stop at that level you know so we have to abandon guilt is one of the um one of the arguments i make so the c-bomb we've dropped the c-bomb in already but we're gonna drop it again capitalism <laughs> capitalism yeah capitalism yeah capitalism let's drop it in so as you write, while capitalism exists, racism will continue. So uh, to, it'd be great to talk about that, unpack that. That's a really, I think, very, very critical argument. And also in terms of, and let me just check which chapter, see, I've taken meticulous notes. Uh, in, um, I can't, you'll remember, you quote W. -E <laughs> Will I? <laughs> you might not. I don't remember half the things I write. W.E.B. Gibraltar, he talks about the wages of whiteness. I think this is such, you know, it's such an important point, such an important element uh, of the argument. So both talk about, you know, the role of capitalism and also what is, what was, what was Gibraltar arguing? Yeah. Um, so capitalism and race are intrinsically linked why that period in the um 1600s the 1660s um the 17th century let's say where the concept of a white race and a black race is being engineered and disseminated through various slave codes codified into law and also really um people are starting to come to understand what it what it means and to in internalize these these notions that take a little while to to catch on but really when they do catch on like wildfire um in that same historical period is where we're seeing the emergence of the system of capitalism 
or uh, an early permutation of the system that is the that is um that the current one we live under is um you know finds its kind of points of points of origin in mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's a system that is um you know encoded into its dna is exploitation and is inequality like it requires it requires inequality to mm -hmm. exist and mm -hmm. when you think about the way race was invented to enshrine this notion of an inequality between black and white we see again another a, 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 a parallel between race and capitalism and i think that even if a if if a marginalized or oppressed group within capitalism can um get their seat at the table because inequality is central to the operating logic there will still be other oppressed groups there can't be equality under this un, under a system that requires inequality to function um I mean, there's so many different arguments which you go into, which, which again, I mean, it's such, such an enlightening, such an educational book, which people should read in one sitting if they can. I mean, you talk about how uh, stop reducing black people to one dimension, stop believing that black people are inherently good, inherently uh, are inherently good, bad, or inherently good, or inherently anything. So, what what are you responding to here? What's this specifically aimed at? Yeah, so again, in the anti-racist and particularly kind of allyship discourse, I see a, often an infantilizing of people and I see a reduction of, of people's, a, a reduction of humanity, like reducing, not engaging with the okay so racism operates in 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 such a way that it um assumes um certain characteristics and behaviors of people in quite a one-dimensional way the infantilization that i see occurring in some allyship discourse to me is a like a a, a further perpetuation of that so one of the maybe i'll just read um yeah, a yeah, section go, oh go my gosh it. i really wish my setup wasn't this precarious. this is great honestly <laughs> i like this because it's more chatty it's informal <laughs> we're just kind of cleaning around with you in a red booth oh my god i'm gonna to open the book i'm just gonna have to play oh my why didn't i do this the whole time oh don't drop me again no i'm not gonna I'm, no because that light is bad okay but hang on just one moment the light is great Okay, so I'm going to move back. Just for people listening, Edwin's opening up the book, finding the right page. So talk amongst yourselves. Come on, everyone. <laughs> Keep yourselves occupied. We're getting there. So this is a reflection. Stop reducing black people. Oh, the mic. The mic's gone a bit, though. What's going on there? Can you hear muffled. me? Yeah, that's better. It just went okay, a bit cool. muffled all of a sudden. Okay. That's much so better. This is from the section, Stop Reducing Black People to One Dimension. And I write, stop believing that black people are inherently bad, are inherently good, are inherently anything. I can't believe I'm writing this because it feels so painfully obvious. 
Yet the allyship framework can be so infantilizing and patronizing that it is sadly necessary. But here's the thing, like you, black people are people with the full range of complexity, contradiction and emotion that comes with humanity. Until white people are prepared to see us as innocent or indeed as less than saintly, depending on what variety of white perspective we are dealing with, racism is present. While there is a strong narrative of black inherent dishonesty amongst racists, at times I've seen almost an inverse of that in some anti-racist allies. Don't believe in some imagined inherent goodness of all black people as a response to your own self-indulgent guilt at racism. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'll stop there. That was great, though. That's brilliant. Um, and you can just see what an eloquent and accessible book it is. Just a couple of other things. So firstly, about the argument, the chapter on redistributing resources, and you've got some very stark statistics, for example, about how in Britain, white English people are 10 times more wealth than black Africans and Bangladeshis. So talk a bit about unpack in terms of what do we mean by redistributing resources? And the other point, which you just put very, very pithily, recognize this shit is killing you too. Keeping people shackled to a scarcity mindset, beholden to the belief that resources are denied to them because of insert scapegoat, racial group or immigrants. I think it's such an important, you can't really understand contemporary British politics without that sentence. And um, I remember back in, I think it was 2006, where embarking in Dagenham, the British National Party, a far-right fascist party, obviously, for those who aren't aware, uh, won several council seats. And this was Barking and Dagenham, where, like most places in the country, council housing had been sold off and the stock hadn't been replaced. And uh, the British National Party, New Labour was in power. They failed to build the council housing people needed. People either obviously end up with the private rented sector, four in 10 privately rented, uh, sorry, four in 10 homes sold off on the right to buy are owned by private landlords charging often rip-off rents. Mm -hmm. and, and and that led people, you know, the British National Party had a, an answer, which wasn't obviously we just build more council housing then. <laughs> Never uh, that. What, it was, they're going to the wrong people, X, Y, Z. And that's why people vote for the BNP. And obviously that's fueled a lot of what we've seen in America and Britain. So I think it's such an important point. Uh, to talk about in terms of, you know, Trumpism 
and a lot of the right-wing populism that has run amok in this country and elsewhere. So both those points about redistributing resources and that point about how people, I just love that, talking about how people are shackled to a scarcity mindset. It's this idea that people are, you know, competing for for resources that are arbitrarily scarce and you therefore delegitimize the opposition and in through the prism of racism, which is so entrenched in our culture, that's what, that's how it's done. Yeah. So I'd be really interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, keeping everyone squabbling against themselves and having this extremely convenient um, uh, kind of them and us binary setup that we that, that we live in uh, allows for um, it is like a distraction technique that um, to come back to the point I was making about recognizing um, about different groups recognizing that the source of their oppression is not each other usually but it has this it it can be traced back to the same source, but having this convenient um, impulse to like racial scapegoating distracts distracts from that and kind of takes the heat off the sites that we that we should be focusing on. And if you go back to the history of all of this, and you look at the fact that um, you know people. Um, whiteness when it was invented and first disseminated and um kind of animated and brought into being it prevented those laborers who became divided um well laborers and enslaved people but both whose labor was being exploited to varying degrees of extremity obviously um it prevented them from seeing their their mutuality and their shared interest and made the indentured see their um imagine a solidarity with a group that they came to understand as the same race as them but a group who actually were exploiting their labor and the type of kind of the, the the type of revolts and rebellions that were happening before that convenient narrative of racial difference and racial sameness with with a uh, the with with other whites was um was introduced it there was like yeah a real threat to the to the power structure so i feel um that's the you can get people to act against their own best interests uh-huh. by by, by racial by racial scapegoating and and racism it was invented to do that work and it's something that has been used to do that work at different moments consistently and incredibly successfully since since that period in the 17th century we see it all happening all the time today any of either of us all of us anyone listening can think of countless examples where people are manipulated into acting against their own best interests by racist narratives about yeah kind of racial scapegoat groups and of course the the republican party particularly after the civil rights movement in the us is i mean to an art form i mean people often 
I think somewhat naively treat Trump as some sort of year zero when election after election, you get these racially codified uh, dog whistles. Dog whistles was a term particularly popularized to describe the Republican strategy. They talk about welfare queens and that's understood to mean undeserving black people taking money. Mm-hmm. And then they end up poor whites voting for Republican party that then cuts their own entitlements. Exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, I find the uh, the co- the example um, that I use in the book of um, coalition building from the Black Panthers and Fred Hampton and the Rainbow Coalition that he was working on um, just before he was killed, um, incredibly um, powerful as an example because he had built, a, was building a coalition between Black Panthers, um, a a Hispanic group called the Young Lords. And then I think most surprisingly with white working class Southerners, um, you know, groups in America that are between the white working class Southerners and, 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 and black Americans seen as like, you know, diametrically opposed and um, in opposition to each other. But what Hampton was able to cultivate was the uh, a solidarity based on the fact that while the young patriots didn't experience racism, they suffered from police brutality as poor white people in poor, in, a poor, in poor neighborhoods. And they also suffered hugely from the inequalities perpetuated by capitalism. Mm. So <clears throat> he was able to build this coalition against people that, um, you know, have been traditionally pitted against each other. So very finally, post-activism, which is the last part of the book. So what do we, what do you mean by that? And I guess there's the, you know, every interview I always end with this anyway, kind of where next, what now, what's for those, you know, you know, in terms of where, at this particular juncture, both in Britain and the United States, where, where do you see, what's the strategy? Okay, so I see, um, you know, uh, the cultivation of, um, I see a reframing um, of the of, of issues whereby people are brought into a movement based on how they can make their lives like how they, let me start again. People identifying um, the source. You know, there's people that are there's groups of people who are oppressed and don't even realize that they're oppressed because the narrative of whiteness is used to distract them from the way capitalism reduces the quality and meaning of their lives. So even though there may be frustrations that are felt amongst those groups, um, the, 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 the direction of those frustration, the direction of that frustration tends to play out on, you know, kind of racial scapegoat groups rather than um, on the source of where their um of where the inequality um or the the deprivations come from so mm-hmm. i think what's really important is to you know identify um oppressions and then the the the, the shared origin of so many of them so really kind of um the cultivation of of shared affinities and unexpected allegiances that cut across lines that were originally and quite recently invented to divide us in order to better and more effectively oppress us. 
um, coalition building. And also, um, if you've read the book, you might have picked up on the fact that there's kind of like something of a spiritual element mm -hmm. that is, 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 is introduced in, in places. And by that, I mean, I actually, I talk about the European enlightenment and the particular types of, um, objectivity and rationality and problem solving consciousnesses that, um, I talk about how actum, how a lot of contemporary activism is operating according to a particular type of problem-solving consciousness, but perhaps the promises of a society created according to this consciousness or or are already broken broken promises and ways in which um, we can draw on um, non-Western we we can draw on cultures that don't that imagine subjectivity in ways that are outside of enlightenment humanism and i think that the um our interest in non-western cultures shouldn't be because it's anti-racist and because of anti-racism or because it's nice to do so or you know because we're just being charitable but because we're kind of stuck we're kind of we're out of ideas. In many ways, uh, the way in which we protest against our oppression, um, I mean, I guess that the obvious, an obvious quote is Audre Lorde, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. We need to identify other tools. And I feel with anti-racism, it's just, it, it, it's incredibly Eurocentric. It, it Anti-racism needs to be decolonized. So I teach African studies. I feel that there is a lot in, yeah, cultures that have other other um, understandings of, um, of, of, of subjectivity. And I talk about, um, you know, the, I, I make the, the um, proposal that while I reject the um, I, I reject the concept of white allies. Perhaps plants are our allies, and looking at entanglements between ourselves and looking at ecology, looking at um, the the entanglement between ourselves and the natural world. You know that was bulldozed over by modernity by the same systems whiteness whiteness as a system by um you know this extractive exploitative um binary understanding of the world um and how we can kind of imagine um and reconnect with um other forms of subjectivity other consciousness and maybe that can be facilitated through, you know, a different relationship with plants, for instance. Um, so I think that's quite an unexpected kind of turn at the end. That's mm -hmm. in the last chapter, recognize this shit is killing you too. And actually, is, do I have time to read a, a, a quick Yeah, please quote do, 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 Okay. Yeah, Sorry. big time. One, oh God, this balancing act again. Jeez. It's gonna work. I've got faith. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, will I be able to find it? I only had the book. Um, I've only had the book in my hand for the first time yesterday. So I'm just how like, where feel? is everything when it's in a book? It's pretty. How do you feel having the book in your hand for the first time? Is always a moment. Yeah, it is. It's quite exciting. Um, it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful, beautifully displayed book, as people can see. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> there it is. Um. <laughs> Oh my God. 
Can I we'll find it? Oh, thank you for not... Um... What I'll do, what I'll do that is I'm just going to... Just going to cut... Kia is going to get my cat over. He'll... He's, he's yowling. Oh, you know what? Oh, yeah. Bring in, bring in the cat. What I'll do is I'll just get it on my laptop and then I can do a yeah, there we go. search. I don't a... need to actually, I don't need to manually do it. Just one. This is, uh, this is Kia. This is not the cat who knocked over the camera. Oh, I just it... minimized my screen so I, to, to find um, the quote. So I can't see Kia. He's been but... very fidgety. He wants to escape. So he doesn't really want, he doesn't really want to say hello. He's not, he's not. He's restrained. <laughs> He's, uh, he's kind of going, could you put me down, please? <laughs> it's all right. It's okay. Uh, I think he wants, he wants some food. He's fine. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, go Sorry, on. I, found, I found it. And you know oh, it. It's so short. It. I could have just <laughs> probably just remembered it. But, um, yeah, I, you mentioned Fred Moten, and it's a quote from him. And Fred Moten describes the coalition as emerging out of your recognition that it's fucked up for you in the same way that we've already realized that it's fucked up for us. And then the other quote of his that I would love to just, I think it's from him as well, yeah, um, to just quickly say, um, so I don't need your help. I just need you to recognize that this shit is killing you too. However much more softly, you stupid motherfucker, you know? And he, I think he says that with the greatest love, like yeah. stupid motherfucker is said affectionately. I mean it affectionately. Um, but yeah, like the, it, it's fucked up for everybody in different ways, you know? And we have to, we have to recognize and identify that in order to cultivate, you know, solidarity coalitions and build mass movements. Emma, it's been a real, real pleasure. It really is an absolutely fantastic. Uh, oh, is it the wrong? No, it's the wrong way. Well, that's the <laughs> other side as well with uh, some of the sections. Stop the denial, stop the false equivalences, interrogate whiteness, interrogate capitalism, denounce the white saviour, abandon guilt. And it, it really is just... Um, an apps, you know, in, it, it it always would be timely, but it's particularly timely now. And everyone should just just buy it now, instantly. Do it now. Uh, but thank you, Emma, for spending so much time with us talking through. We got through. It was like an action film at various moments. Uh, My heart is actually racing, <laughs> and I'm sitting at such like an awkward angle as well. I really don't think I'm the uh, I the relaxed, <laughs> the relaxed I mean, babe I wanted to appear. <laughs> I, the only thing I regret is the cat throwing the camera over. It would have been quite amusing if we'd seen it happen, but actually it was just annoying. Um, but we got through it. But it was a real pleasure. Um, what a brilliant writer. What a brilliant thinker. Um, and uh, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.